for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's nobody's listening anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. All right, in the biggest game in the history of not just South Dakota State football, South Dakota State athletics, perhaps the history of South Dakota the state. I mean, the stakes have never been bigger than a Division I college football national championship. The Jackrabbits and this climb of 17 years since leaving the North Central Conference and coming to the FCS and all of the years of learning how to win at that level and learning how to break through against the titan of the sport just north across the border, North Dakota State, and finally getting home field advantage throughout the playoffs before the championship game and finally making it to Frisco, Texas to play for all the marbles. The Jackrabbits come 16 seconds away 16 seconds short of winning it all and they lose 23 21 to sam houston state and matt zimmer is in frisco texas for obviously what was a weird wild afternoon with the weather delay and then uh, a football game that went right down to the very end and i'm just gonna i'm just gonna preface this by saying i didn't see a second of it yeah it's a little weird isn't it but uh, I work full-time for the Sioux Falls Canaries, game day operations chief, and we had a preseason baseball game out here today, uh, mainly talking to our season ticket holders and getting some things technically ready. So I haven't seen much, but I followed Twitter. I've read Matt's game story, and so we're going to kind of let Zim, as usual, do a lot of the heavy lifting here. Um, but those listening to the podcast right now have already seen this game, Matt. They have already know what happened. So just just take me down to either the press box, the field, post-game. Uh, I mean, everything that's happened since that touchdown pass from Eric Schmidt to uh, Ezard to, uh, to win the game in the national title for Sam Houston State. Describe the scene. Well, I mean, it was a fantastic game once the weather cleared up. It was weird early on because it was pouring rain, right? Basically, right when the game started, it started pouring. It had been drizzling, sprinkling, light rain in the morning. Kickoff start. You have kickoff, boom, it's pouring. And uh, it was like that for most of the first half. The teams were able to move the ball a little bit, but you saw there were some fumbles, there were some incomplete passes, some turnovers that were clearly caused by the, the weather. And so you're kind of watching it going, oh man, this is, you know, whoever wins. This is going to feel a little bit like, well, it was more about whoever dealt with the weather better than who was the better team. And we've obviously seen that, you know, especially locally, you know, how many USF national championships did they play in mud bowls? Mm. And we've seen other games like that before. Jacks fans certainly have seen that at Coughlin Alumni Stadium over the years. Um, so you were kind of almost sort of digging in for that kind of game. Then there's lightning. They pull everyone off the field for over an hour. Uh, and at, at some point, if the weather's bad enough, they were talking about tornado warnings. I tossed out on Twitter, I said, this could end in a tie because we've seen how little the NCAA really gives a shit about the FCS. I mean, I'm just waiting for them to say, yeah, we have to send you guys home tonight. So 7-7, you're co-champions. You know, and <laughs> I certainly didn't like think that was going to happen, but I also wouldn't put it past them to do it. So we're all kind of going, you know, how is this going to end? What's this day going to be like? Well, the weather clears up and it like really cleared up. The rain stopped, the sun came out and hey, guess what happened? 
the two teams that were maybe the best two teams in the country this year played an outstanding, supremely entertaining game after that. It was super fun. And uh, as I've said to you before on this podcast, like I can always tell when a game is a great game when it makes me nervous, even though I don't have, you know, an emotional stake in it other than, you know, knowing these players and coaches and, you know, wanting them to, I'm not rooting for them to win the game, but you're certainly, you know, happy for them when they win. But I was really very much in the fourth quarter, basically the whole fourth quarter, because it looked like uh, Sam Houston, they go up 17, seven. It it looked like they kind of had this one and then the Jacks were, and we'll get back to what led to that, but it just didn't look good. And then they get two incredible touchdown runs from Isaiah Davis, who was by far the best player on the field. Um, and all of a sudden they're up 21-17 with five minutes left. And you're like, they're going to do this. You know, uh, they're going to win. And they just couldn't do it. And, you know, there were a lot of questionable calls or non-calls. The last drive, uh, Sam Houston State made some great plays, but also there were some plays where the Jacks players were obviously getting held or, or you know, and, and that's the kind of thing. I guess kind of to in a roundabout way get back to how you preface that question, you know, what are the takeaways going to be or what are people going to remember? I think there's just going to be so many what ifs because I don't think the Jacks cer- certainly they weren't full strength because we haven't even mentioned it yet. Mark Gronowski got hurt first play of the game practically. Did not play the rest of the game. Uh, he's the Valley player of the year, the freshman of the year, the everything, the engine that makes that offense go. He didn't play the whole game. Uh, so you take that but, you know, our, I'm not going to say the best player in their offense because, again, Isaiah Davis was amazing. But you take him out of there and then just throw in, you know, the weather and so many other things. Uh, the Jacks missed two field goals in part because they decided to switch holders this week, which was a terrible idea. Um, I think fans will look back and go, you know, maybe there's six points that if we hadn't changed holders, maybe that would have made a difference. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> there were a, a couple of uh, play calls that, you know, as there are every game, uh, that you wonder about, like I said, some some calls, some non-calls. Sam Houston's first touchdown. Uh, the guy clearly fumbled the ball at the one-yard line as he was crossing the goal line. Uh, I don't know if it would have been, if the touchdown would have been negated, who recovered, whatever. But like he clearly fumbled, and the refs were just like, "Yeah, whatever, it's fine." And then reviewed every touchdown the Jacks scored. They they didn't even review it, and then reviewed every touchdown the Jacks scored, even though they were uncontroversial plays. So there's a lot of stuff if you're a Jacks fan. They're not going to sleep well tonight. I mean, they're going to be thinking, God damn it, if only Gronowski had played. Or, if, you know, if this had happened, if this, that call, if they'd reviewed that fumble, all those things. And that's frustrating because I don't think coming away from this game, you say necessarily, you know, oh, Sam Houston's clearly the better team. They're a great team. And they beat North Dakota State, James Madison, and South Dakota State in three straight weeks to win the national championship. you got to give them a lot of credit for that. Those are the three premier programs in FCS football probably. And Sam Houston just beat him in three successive weeks. Mm. You got to tip your hat to that. But again, if all those things hadn't played out the way they did, it's just going to be really hard for SDSU fans to swallow. And the Gronowski thing in particular, because, um, you know, you play the whole game without your starting quarterback. And it's not just any starting quarterback. Again, we mentioned the Valley Player of the Year. That's just really tough. And uh, he would have made a difference. Keaton Heidi has experience as a starting quarterback. You know, he started five or six games in 2019 and at times played really well. Um, But he also, there's a reason he was the third string quarterback for when this season started. Uh, He did not play well early in the training camp to in the competition for the job. Uh, And he came out today and I thought he battled. I thought he was really composed. He didn't seem like he was nervous. You know, he didn't have this look of a guy who thought he was going to be watching the game all day. And then was like, Oh my God, I have to win the national championship. I mean, he looked ready for it. 
um, but he just didn't play great. He didn't play shitty. Um, a lot of times there were a ton of drop passes. That, again, that could have changed the game. Uh, Keaton Hyde is a pocket passer. You know, he's not a guy who you send out there to run the ball a lot or be, you know, read option, all that stuff Gronowski does. So they kind of had to change their offense a little bit. Uh, and he missed he, the one glaring thing. He missed a wide open Pierre Strong on a fourth down would have made a big difference. That's the one I think is going to stick in people's craw, so to speak. But he made a lot of plays, too. Um, so it's just one of those games where, you know, I don't want to say the Jacks beat themselves. That would be insulting to Sam Houston State. Uh, they made a ton of great plays. Their quarterback, Eric Schmid, I thought deserved the player of the game. It went to the receiver, Ezard, who was probably the most explosive player for them. But just Schmid's toughness. He took a beating very similar to the one Noah Henderson took for Delaware last week and just kept getting up and kept making plays. And then Ezard, yeah, is an amazing player who uh, had 10 catches, two touchdowns, mm. returned a punt for a touchdown that got called back for a penalty. But even even though it didn't count, you kind of saw in that play like, holy shit, this guy's good. Um, so they're a deserving champion. And it's just for SCSU, when you've never been here before, that makes it hurt that much more. You don't know if you're ever going to get back. And so I think the way they lost this game is just really going to be tough for Jacks fans to get over. Oh, it sounds like the ways they lost this game, and uh, it's—I mean—it's got to be just crushing. Uh, and I think of John Stiegelmeyer and all he did to build this and build this, and we've been talking about this for weeks, and uh, we've had so many discussions on how real is this FCF season? Is it a joke, like Mike McFeely of the Fargo Forum said, and whoever wins, is it going to be worthy champions? I think he laid out the case beautifully for Sam Houston State, uh, and Ezard might be the most impactful player because he was the, I thought he was the the one-dose, uh, almost single-handed shot in the arm in just being able to beat James Madison to make it to this game. They were down 27-3, and on like almost back-to-back plays, he had an 80-yard touchdown catch from Schmidt and then a 69-yard punt return for a touchdown. That was a big part of 28 points in five minutes, and I think that will probably be more legendary in Sam Houston lore than what they did today against South Dakota State. Again, probably. for all the reasons you mentioned, because that was an that was just a comeback for the ages in a pinball football game, and this was, uh, you know, it, uh, it literally and figuratively kind of a slop fest from everything you just described. Um, and, and look, used to, you, you, there's a lot of places we could go here. I want to get to the final play that decided it because that's what you led your game story with. But I'll also uh, go to one of your tweets. Uh, and again, I don't know the context here. I literally wasn't watching the game. You had a tweet that said, are you fucking kidding me? And, <laughs> and sorry for those of you who've never listened to our podcast before, but we dropped the occasional F-bomb. And you just decided, you did it on Twitter during a national championship game, the biggest event you've ever covered. So yeah. it had to be a strong reason to do it. What was it? I'm probably fired for that, yeah. I, uh, I was probably- I was thinking like, whoa, Zim. <laughs> but what was, it, what was it? What did it happen at? I'm be- I'm, I bet you're not. But what was it that after? What was that reaction I'm pretty to? sure I went back and deleted it. Just oh, okay. All right. Well, I saw um, it. was Isaiah Davis' uh, go-ahead touchdown run. I mean, it was just you hear 85-yard touchdown run, and you know you're talking about an amazing play. But this wasn't just a, you know, he got the edge and ran away from everyone. I can't even really describe it. You're just going to have to watch SportsCenter to see it. It was an amazing run, and you know how loath I am to use the word amazing. Yes. Uh, but he, you know, cut in and out, broke some tackles, stutter-stepped a few. I mean, it was just incredible. It was one of those plays that – and that, I think, also is part of why this loss is going to be so crushing for SDSU because when you take the lead on a play like that, it feels very, like, sort of preordained or, like, you know, destiny, sort of like this is the play. You know, 50 years from now, oh, you're going to – yeah. This would, if they win, that's it, right. And that was the one that gave him the lead after they had been down by 10. And it was just, 
such an amazing run, and it came like five minutes after he had just had a 28-yard touchdown run, which, by the way, was also a pretty amazing, I don't know if I'll quite go amazing on that one, but a very impressive run. I mean, the dude was just unconscious today. He was so good. Um, if I was the Jacks, I'd be terrified they're going to lose this guy to an FBS transfer portal type of deal because he was just a man among boys, and he's a true freshman. I mean, they just could not stop him. Um, you know, no disrespect to Pierre Strong, all-American, a great player, but at one point, Strong's in the game in the second half, in the fourth quarter, getting carries, and everyone's going, why are you giving him the ball? What are you doing? Hmm. Uh, that's that's just how good Isaiah Davis was today, and um, maybe if they had gone to him more earlier, it would have been different. Um, but again, you know, they had to kind of rejigger their whole game plan. Yes. Um, Sam Houston State has a tremendous defensive line. Yes. They couldn't, and, and then Gronowski comes out of the game. I mean, obviously they're going to like, well, let's come up and play eight in the box, whatever it was. And they led the nation in sacks, right, as right. well, yeah. in they're the situations gonna, you have to pass. Sell out to, to put pressure, whether it's stopping the run or just putting pressure on Heidi, and that obviously created problems for him. And finally, Keaton, he had a big throw to Zach Hines over the middle, uh, he completed some passes in the flat to Strong and Davis. I don't know if he completed a pass to a wide receiver the whole game, but uh, he finally got some passes going that it kind of forced the defense to back off just a little bit, and it seemed like that was when uh, Davis got those big runs. Matt Zimmer, he's in Frisco, Texas. He just covered the national championship loss for the South Dakota State Jackrabbits, 23-21 to Sam Houston State. Nobody's listening anyway. I'm John Gaskins, live from the Birdcage, where if we have time and if my cell phone battery doesn't die before the end of this podcast, we might chat because uh, we'll turn the page to Tuesday in baseball season in a new era for Sioux Falls' pro baseball team. But, uh, you know... Okay, I'll stay with the big ball of wax here because that's that's usually what we do on these podcasts. And, you know, you mentioned all these things that went wrong and that especially, first and foremost, the starting quarterback, the offensive player of the year in the best conference in America, uh, injured right away on the first series. And... Uh, and a guy who this year has not had any, any meaningful snaps has to play the whole game and they still almost win. But is this a, does this feel like a game where uh, it was everything didn't go their way or they blew it? And I say that understanding that, A, I didn't watch the game. B, I understand that they almost won it. I mean, it went down to one play with 16 seconds left. So, uh, but, the, what, you know, we've talked all year long. If, if the, the Jacks have had, comparatively to past years, a primrose path to this game and to finally get that national championship for themselves and for John Stiegelmeyer and if they lose, depending on how that looked like, it'd be like, uh, A, are they ever going to do it? But B, it, does this pile on to any sort of his legacy of falling short? We're here now. What's the answer to that question? I don't think so. I mean, obviously his legacy, the Jacks program still lacks that trophy. Uh, and that will always be a glaring omission until it is filled. Uh, but they did not choke in this game. They did not blow it or anything like that. I mean, when they were down 17-7 going to the fourth quarter, I thought they were cooked. I mean, they just weren't really getting a lot going on offense. The defense was busting its ass to try to stay in the game. Uh, but there's only so much you can do when the offense isn't moving the ball and is forcing you to stay on the field as long as he did. Um, and for them to you know, have that resilience to sort of fight back, uh, make some adjustments to fight back too. It wasn't just like sheer will and like, you know, being motivated, somebody on the sidelines, you know, giving a rah-rah speech. I mean, they made some adjustments too. Um, I, I thought, you know, th like I said, the coaches, I think definitely made some mistakes. There were a couple weird play calls. And again, I thought the going to a different holder was a, a, a glaring mistake that 
the what the weather conditions were terrible. There's a great chance Cole Fromm would have missed both of those field goals anyway. Uh, but still, questionable call. But having said all that, no, this isn't a game where you go, oh, geez, remember when they choked against Sam Houston State? I mean, no. A, Sam Houston State, with Good. the three teams they beat, clearly proved themselves. Okay. You take away the starting quarterback. I mean, take away the starting quarterback from any team. You know, I mean, that's gener- especially a team that relies leans as heavily on on Mark Grinowski. He's not a game manager. You know, he is their superstar mm-hmm. along with Davis and Strong. Yeah, it's got to make it tough for Jason Eck to just all of a sudden try to decide what to call for a guy who, um, let, let, frankly, at this point, not as good and B different skill set, different style, and different all of a sudden you have to have a completely different game call. Well, they did get a gift basically with the weather delay. Because yeah. it's like, oh, hey, you, you, have free, that. you have a free hour to uh, try and devise another game plan. Now, easy for me to say. It's not like you can write a whole other game plan in you know, an hour or however much time he had. But that did help. Um, and you could see them try to make some adjustments. Uh, but like I said, too, you know, Keaton missed some throws. And I'm not trying to shit on Keaton. He got put in a tough spot there. Um, but it's definitely fair to wonder were there just maybe three or four plays he didn't make that maybe Mark Gronowski would have made, and that would have made a difference. So that, again, is why I think Jacks fans are going to be pulling their hair out for so long is they essentially lost by one play, and the Jacks themselves left, you know, I don't know mm. how many plays out on the field that could have made a difference. Yeah, that uh, that changing holders thing. Why? And I will make a big deal of this. Uh why? Why did they do this? Because well, and, and by the way, were the was the hold the big problem on both of these field goal misses? And it, it only had to be a problem on one of those two field goal misses because they only lost by two points. It sounded like it was on both of them. I only saw the it was. One. It, um, yes. Yeah. Okay. Sounded, uh, like I said, only saw the second one. It and a guy who had uh, and a guy who's held hasn't held all season. Shut up and let me explain it. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> that, well, here's why it's weird. Here's why it doesn't make sense. Uh, Keaton Heidi, the backup quarterback, has been the holder. I don't know if he's been the holder all year. I can't quite remember. But very vividly, everyone sort of noticed in the Southern Illinois game, I believe it was the Southern, yeah, uh, he was the holder that day, and there were a bunch of bad snaps. And he stepped up, and, you know, he's a quarterback. He's used to handling the football. I don't know, maybe he was a shortstop or something too, but he had really soft hands and made some clutch holds where he had to catch a bad snap and then get it down in time to convert the kick. And he did that routinely throughout that game. I mentioned it on Twitter and in my post-game story, uh, the Jackrabbit Illustrated guys mentioned it on their podcast. Like, it was a thing that we were talking about. Like, damn, it's sure a good thing they had Keaton Heidi as their holder that day. Well, why would you take that guy out of there if he's, you know, stepping up that clutch in a role that can easily get overlooked? I'm pretty sure Keaton was the holder again last week against Delaware, but it was 33-3. to I didn't really, you know, pay that much attention. It was a blowout. Um, well, then coming out today, I thought what had happened was that Keaton was the holder. And then when Gronowski got hurt and Keaton had to become the quarterback, that they said, okay, since you're the starting quarterback, we don't want you holding anymore. So I asked John after the game, I said, why did you do that? And he said, we didn't do that. He said the plan was for Ben Dinkle, the punter, to be the holder for the whole game. And I, I guess I didn't notice that that was the case. And, and he said, and then after essentially he botched the first two holds, and again, to be fair, bad weather today. It was rainy, slippery, you know, all that stuff. Like Then we decided to put Keaton back in there. And when you know it, Keaton didn't have any difficulties on, I think he had two holds uh, after that. Now, like I said, the conditions were shitty. One of the field goals was a 45-yarder. It's certainly possible Cole Fromm would have missed that kick anyway, or that Keaton Heidi would have had just as much difficulty getting the hold down because, like I said, it was pouring rain for the first half of the game. Uh, but still, if as everyone noticed that Keaton Heidi was – 
doing such a great job as the holder in prior weeks, why would you make that change to Ben Dinkle? I don't understand. The only thing I can think of without getting, I mean, John didn't give much more of an explanation than just saying, yeah, we wanted Ben to be the holder and he's been a good holder before. Then when he screwed up two of them, we put Keaton in. It kind of goes back to, you know, the Jacks have at times used Taron Christian as their holder. And there's always a little bit of a, do you really want your starting quarterback holding? Because it's possibly, I mean, I would argue that holder is a pretty safe position. They're not usually getting hit a whole lot. But if you're going to have a quarterback be the holder, you know, maybe have it be the backup quarterback. And I've always thought that's the best way to do it because then you can always run a fake. Or if there's, you know, something goes wrong, you've got a guy holding the ball who's used to being under pressure, who's used to having options and knowing what to do with a football. But the Jacks had Brady Hale, their former punter, do some holding. I think he ultimately replaced Taron. The Vikings have always done that. The Minnesota Vikings have always had their punter be the holder. Mm -hmm. And I've never understood it. Like, why wouldn't you not want a backup quarterback, a third string quarterback to be a holder just to give you someone who's, you know, a little more used to handling the ball, can throw it, can run with it, things like that. Uh, so I don't know if that's why, if they just decided, yeah, we don't want, we don't want one of our quarterbacks being the holder, but it doesn't matter what their reason was. It was a really bad idea. And again, I'm not saying it lost in the game today, uh, but there's, there's really no defending that move. It was a bad decision and it cost them. Yeah, and it goes back to the things where when we cover football teams, and especially if you and I, we've been covering sports for so long, we've interviewed coaches so many times, we can get jaded and we can get a little bit, we can roll our eyes when coaches talk about the fine details and it's a game of inches or uh, talking about the importance. There's three phases of the game. Everybody forgets about special teams. And, you know, it's always kind of an eye roll to me, especially when it comes down to not not just, not not the kicker, but the holder. It's like, okay, and then you put all of this. I mean, you spend these these 80 to 100-hour weeks, however much they spend on all this and fine-tuning details and making big decisions about personnel. And then, again, I mean, they, they did lose by two points. They did miss two field goals, and they did go with what appeared to be uh, perhaps the wrong holder. Clearly, they admitted their mistake by going back to Keaton. And, um, again, that wasn't all of it, and they almost won. It's just uh, that's, that's partly why the game of football is so great and can break your heart uh, in, in cases like this. And that goes down to the last play as well. Your game story, uh, and I commend you for this, for just really getting, let's see, uh, Oh, this is Hank's game story, so I'll commend Hank. Um, He describes the winning touchdown. He said, South Dakota State ran cover two, seemingly had the end zone blanketed. Sam Houston countered with four vertical concepts with an angle route from the running back. You don't get this in everyday (laughs) newspaper game stories. A A day I found an open path to the end zone, and after progressing through his read, Schmidt connected with him on a perfectly thrown ball. Had the pass been a few inches in either direction, or if the SDSU defender hadn't momentarily lost his footing as he came up to contest Schmidt's pass, perhaps Sunday's game takes on a different outcome. Instead, he pulled in the pass, providing the final swing in an unforgettable game, and then, interesting quote from John Stegemeyer, quote, Maybe six inches closer and we knock the ball down or knock it up and somebody intercepts it. I think the defensive call was good. I'm not second-guessing our coaches at all. We just didn't make the play, unquote. What struck me about that quote, Zim, was sometimes when a coach says that, I'm not second-guessing our coaches at all, you wonder if they're second-guessing the coaches because he had to preface it with that. So, do you think that was a defensive breakdown? How do you translate the quote? How do you feel about that final play? No, I, th- I think they just made a play. And uh, I- I'd have to go back. You know, I was watching it in real time. Uh, I just kind of saw the guy catch it. The-, the thing I'll say in their defense, 
And I, I don't think so. I know what you're saying. I agree with you a lot of times when the coaches say, well, I'm not second guessing. It means they are. That's just kind of how Stig talks. Like he's yeah. sort of careful to always cover his bases. So gotcha. to speak. OK, um, but, you know, as Ezard was by far, you know, the most dangerous receiver on the day. And he had 10 catches for 108 yards and won the MVP. Um, Don Gardner is the Jacks' ace cornerback. And even though Ezard had those numbers, I thought Don had a fantastic day today. A lot of those catches came when Don wasn't covering him. They, the Jacks, it's not always the same guy one-on-one through the, through the whole game for a variety of reasons. Anyway, on that last play, Gardner was covering Ezard. Um, and that's what you want. I mean, the game's on the line. The national championship is on the line. You want your best corner covering their best receiver. Well, they went to their number two receiver. And uh, I'm assuming it was Dyshawn Gales who was supposed to be covering him. But, I, again, I'm not blaming him either. It might have been if they were playing a cover two. I don't know exactly whose responsibility it was. The story said that someone slipped and fell. That's probably where the breakdown in the play was. Again, wet conditions, stuff like that can happen. I mean, you know, they're, they're screwing up. There's making a big bonehead mistake or a terrible call or whatever. But then there's just a play where, you know, nothing crazy happens. One team just wins the play, so to speak. And I think that's what happened on that particular play. I mean, Schmidt's a great quarterback. Both of those wide receivers are really good. Um, they made the play on the last play of the game. And, you know, <laughs> they also converted a fourth down earlier yes, in the drive. fourth you know, and if one. That happen, if that doesn't happen, then you got – and plus there was a – I believe it was a third down conversion much earlier in the drive, closer to midfield. Uh, Tolu Ogurndi is – just gets tackled before he can even get out of his three-point stance right in front of an official and just nothing happens uh then he got called for offsides when he kind of tried to basically guess the snap count and jump it looked like he timed it perfect ref throws the flag offsides and i think that was on that same drive uh either way i mean there was just a lot of stuff that the jacks defense was dealing with in this game uh i certainly don't put it on them for giving up the touchdown at the end Man, 16-play, 65-yard drive, and any of those things that went differently, just one of those things. And South Dakota State is the national champion. It's just uh, it's a heartbreaker. So um, give us a sense of the uh, emotions and some of the things the Jackrabbits had to say after it was all done. Uh, they were very much like, we can't wait to get back to work. You know, this has sort of whetted our appetite, so to speak. And I think that's to be expected, especially – when because of COVID, all these guys are going to be back. There isn't that, you know, oh, my God, we're saying goodbye to 20 seniors sort of thing that there usually is. Uh, all, you know, it's their first time being here. So, obviously, it's going to be a little bit of a motivator. Obviously, they wanted to win this game. Uh, but just getting to it for the first time ever is a step for this program. It's an accomplishment they've never had before. So, there wasn't this sort of like, oh, my God, you know, this is, you know, the most horrible thing ever. But don't get me wrong. They definitely are taking this loss very hard. Uh, because anytime you're in a conference with North Dakota State, you don't know when you're ever going to get back. Uh, you know, having a season where you essentially best them and then don't win the national championship, that's tough. Uh, and they know it. And uh, they know the rest of the league's going to be back. The rest of the conference is going to be back. Sam Houston State's going to be back. James Madison's going to be back. Delaware's going to be back. All these teams are going to have the same dudes back because there's no graduation, essentially because of COVID. Now, obviously, the transfer portal looms larger than it ever has because, again, partially COVID and just trends in college football. But then as much as all the SDSU players and coaches are talking after the game about we can't wait to get back to work and we want to do all this, and it's only two months away, by the way, was when they're going to start up wow. uh, fall camp. But the bigger thing is Mark Gronowski probably out for the year. Uh, it sounds like he might have torn his ACL or a, a similar sort of injury. I mean, John Stiglmeyer's first comments in the post-game press conference was he suffered a serious injury. Mm. Uh, and he had no 
obligation to share that. You know, he easily could have just said, we don't know. We'll find out later. Um, the fact that he said that I think is really telling. And uh, just last week, I talked to Jabore Gibbs and asked him if there was any chance he was going to be able to play in the fall. And he said, no, there's not. Because hmm. he just tore his other ACL uh, in garbage time. I think it was against Western Illinois. So all of a sudden, back-to-back years, the Jacks have a freshman quarterback who shows a ton of promise, looks like a guy they can build around for four years, and now going into the fall season, they're probably not going to have either one of them. Keaton Heidi, again, showed a lot in 2019, looked like a guy who could compete for the job. It appears he's regressed. Either he's regressed or the offense has just moved in a direction that he's no longer a really good fit for that offense. In either case, he's not an ideal guy to be their starting quarterback. Not saying he can't do it. Uh, but both he and the offense would have to probably make some serious adjustments for that to be a good marriage. Well, if it's not going to be Keaton, then who's it going to be? Karst Hunter's a walk-on. Rudy Voss is a walk-on. I mean, Karst Hunter's been playing wide receiver. There's, he's a kid they like, but they didn't recruit him to be a starting quarterback. They had another freshman coming in. I don't even remember the guy's name or where he's from. Uh, so then, obviously, the question is, you know, do you look for a transfer? Because this is a team clearly is ready to win now. Mm-hmm. They don't have time to dink around with – developing another freshman quarterback or, you know, trying to work around Keaton Heidi or Karst Hunter's limitations. You know, they either got to convince themselves that, yep, we can win with Keaton Heidi or they got to find another quarterback. And uh, again, they have two months to do it. Mm. Very interesting. And when you'll be right back on the beat in two months, that is crazy. All right. And by the way, I should say it's, it's possible Mark Gronowski, like maybe, who, they'll find out, oh, it's just a torn meniscus or yeah. a sprained knee or something. But we all know yeah. more often than not, that's not how it do, And out. by the way, you don't, I mean, you don't need, uh, you don't need a long, eloquent answer to this, but it, did it feel like when he went down, I know you're up in the press box, so you're not on the sidelines, but did it feel like him going down was a big reason why they fell behind 17 to seven, both uh, for, I, we, we've talked about the X's and O's and the adjustments you have to make with a totally different kind of quarterback, but also emotionally. I mean, did, no, no, because they scored their first touchdown with Keaton on the field. Okay. Um, he came right in and they went right down and scored. Now All he right. didn't really, he mostly just handed off on that drive. Yeah. Uh, but he did have to make, there was one play where they called the pass. He dropped back. No one was open. He didn't force it. He tucked it and ran for a few yards, took a big hit. And I think it was exact exact opposite. I think when that happened and then they scored to take the lead, I think everyone felt like we can win with Keaton. He was ready for this. He was prepared. He was ready to step in. But then I also think the, the bad throw I mentioned on fourth down to Pierre Strong, they were down 17-7, I think, at that time, maybe 14-7, and maybe that's what led to the field goal. But either way, that one, it kind of felt like you could feel the whole stadium kind of go, we can't win with this guy. Mm. If he can't that throw, we're not going to win the game. Now, again, they adjusted and found a way to do it, but that was the play where I felt like maybe the wind came out of their sails a little bit. You mentioned the stadium. Uh, we know SDSU sold out its allotment of, what, 35 or 3,500 or 4,000 tickets to this thing. I don't know thing. what the number was. They but, added more. Yeah, yeah I mean, what uh, – how full was the stadium? And, and it, I think you were reporting that it was a lot more Jackrabbit fans, even though the Sam Houston fans obviously had a much shorter distance to travel. Uh, look, like it, the stadium was about half full. I don't know what the final capacity they allowed was. There were a lot of Sam Houston fans there. There was the opposite side from where we were yeah. sitting was all orange. I think there were more Jacks fans, but whether or not the numbers were equal or not equal, the Jacks fans were louder. The Jacks yeah. fans were more into it. Um, it I, won't, I won't say it felt like a home game for the Jacks, uh, but it kind of did. You know, sure. it was it was a very cool atmosphere. How else would you ex- describe the experience? Um, just from the day you arrived in, until the game itself, the environment, the whole time. 
Uh, it's been fun. I mean, uh, Frisco's a cool town. The weather's been good. There's Jax fans everywhere, and everyone has been in an awesome mood the whole time. I can't leave or enter my hotel without someone stopping me and wanting to talk about the Jax. And that's been fun. That's yeah. been cool. Uh, it hasn't been quite as cool as I think it would be in a non-COVID year because um, we just, get, you know, the team just got here on Friday for a Sunday game. Normally it would be, I think they'd probably get here like on a Tuesday or a Wednesday yeah. and there'd be a couple more days of some sort of pomp and circumstance kind of stuff. Yeah, they go to an amusement park or something, yeah. Yeah, I'd have a lot more access to be right. I mean, I was fortunate to get to go to the team's walkthrough on Saturday morning uh, and be around them a little bit and watch. That was fun. Um, but I'm hopeful I can get to come back here again in a normal scenario. And because that's one of the fun things of traveling with the team is just kind of being a fly on the wall and, you know, observing them, watching them, listening to them and, and seeing kind of how they prepare for the game. And other than Saturday's walkthrough where they were all in, in you know, sweats, you, you, you didn't really get to do that as much. Oh, all right. So there's there's all of that. And um Oh, and then there's your walk through uh, your your tweet before the game mentioning that uh, you were offered some uh, beers at the tailgate party and you would not report how many you uh, you you accepted, right? And or, or drank. Can you do that now? Is it okay? It's over. You can tell us or not. I probably shouldn't. Now I'm already on thin ice with you know tweeting <laughs> f bombs. How okay? That's fine. So how? Yeah, that's fine. I think anybody can use their imagination there. I mean, you still have to function, and nothing I've never done. Not not, not in a long time. But um, I told you that story about in college, Texas Tech. I we tailgated for about three or four hours before that one when I was in school at Lincoln, and uh, Huskers were ranked number one. They blew out Texas Tech, and it was boring. And I fell I fell asleep in the press. <laughs> for a couple times in the second half wearing my shades hoping no one noticed hopefully not drooling um, but I'm sure you functioned quite well but uh, did you when you set the f-bomb were you kind of like oh my god I mean did you was it one of those moments like oh like how in between the time that you tw- tweeted that and deleted it do you want me to edit this part do you not want people to remember that you dropped no, an f-bomb fine. okay it's fine. did you it's shit fine. your pants a little bit or you just kinda, yeah, was, or did anybody text so... did anybody text you like what, what are you doing no, I was so it was, I was just so amazed by the play. It was it was an yeah. amazing play. I felt like it deserved it. And uh, then as soon as I tweeted, I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And uh, I actually followed it up with a sorry not sorry tweet. And uh, <laughs> yeah. then then Kate Johnson of the Seattle Seahawks replied to my tweet said, I just said the exact same thing. There you so go. clearly he was watching the game and had the same reaction. So uh, I would like to think that anyone who was offended by it will understand there that sometimes go. in the heat of the moment. Yeah. Uh, and not watching it at the time and not knowing the context was interesting to me. It could have been a bad call. could have been uh, the last play of the game. could have been so- anything. Um, so, and I want to get to Stig one more time. And look, I only want to drop in references to Husker 90s glory days when I really feel it's appropriate. And I really do think it applies here because it, this continues. I was thinking about this after we recorded last week where I had mentioned Stiglmeyer's tenure, Stiglmeyer's tenure reminds me of the Osborne tenure. Now, Osborne took over for a legend when Nebraska was already one of the top programs in the country. He took over for Bob Devaney. He kept things going amazingly and immaculately uh, for uh, his entire career, 25 years. But he all, but he encountered a few national title games uh, and fell short about his first three times in 20 years. And then in 1993, 
a couple years after, some people thought it's time for Osborne to go. He's kind of like I'm sure you've told me some some Jack fans have felt about Stiegelmeyer. He got us to a certain level. He can take, and then when we get there, we can't pull it out. We need to get somebody else in here who can who can somehow you know, figure out how to win that game or win those big ones. And then Osborne goes uh, and is a 17-and-a-half-point underdog, not like the Jacks were today, but they finally make a national title game in 93 against Florida State, Orange Bowl, and uh, they were the better team, but it was a back-and-forth game, a little sloppy, and they, they ended up losing 18-16. to 16. They missed a 47-yard field goal in the last play of the game. And it was such a crushing heartbreaker because a lot of Husker fans felt like they got screwed on a couple of calls and plays. Uh, one touchdown they gave the Florida State, one touchdown they took back from Nebraska. Anyway, heartbreaker got screwed. And then, uh, but guess what? The very next year, the Huskers came back. Then they won back-to-back national titles. Then they won three and four years for him to ride off into the sunset. So maybe that's what it's all building for Stig. And, you know, the Huskers kind of had to learn getting finally to that big national title game, the group that they had. You know, okay, we've been there. Now we can figure out how to win there. And look, Sam Houston State did it on the first try. They hadn't been in nine years. None of those players and their coach, I don't think, had uh, had been there. But you know, maybe this is it. The Jacks have been there. They know what it takes to get there. And um, so we'll see if uh, in the uh, Stiglmeyer can get that next year and have the great redemption story. Nebraska turned on. Uh, you know, they went up 16 to 15 on the field with a minute 15 left in that 93 uh, Orange Bowl national title game. And the, uh, the scoreboard at Memorial Stadium just read 16 to 15, Nebraska leading with like 115 remaining in the game. And they just they, they put that on the scoreboard for every day of spring practice and summer mm-hmm. practice. And, um, you know, it kind of sounds like that's where the Jacks might be headed with their mentality of this whole thing. I mean, I definitely think, you know, not that I was expecting them to lose this game or ready to excuse them losing this game or that anyone on the team felt like, oh, we're just happy to be here, and if we win, that's great. I don't think any of those things are true. But I do think, as I said earlier, this is a step in itself. They had never been here before. Anytime a team accomplishes something they have never accomplished before, that is significant. That is building. That is an improvement on where you've been before, and you know you hope to, to take the next step. You have to make the playoffs for the first time ever before you can yada, yada, yada. Um, and I, so I think there's value in this. Uh, I also will say, for what it's worth, uh, this is, I think, the first time ever in the six years I've been covering South Dakota State football that on the last day of the season, I did not get one single tweet or email from someone saying, Stig needs to be fired! So I think maybe people see that, too, that there's this was a year where people were like, hey, you know, you did win the big one. Not necessarily the big one, the big one, but think how many big ones they had to win just to get here. Right. Um, or also just to play the games, you know, for them to... You know, we kind of joke sometimes about, you know, how much coaching does Stig really do? Does he call the plays, all these other things? Um, for for them to get through this season COVID-free the way they did, uh, put together the playoff run they did, and look at the way they did it. You know, their games were so disciplined. They didn't have a single turnover throughout the playoffs until today. Wow. I mean, just everything about their team just sort of screamed being well coached. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really, really hard for me to take anyone seriously right now who goes, the problem with this team is the coaching. I, <laughs> I, I just don't see how you can make that case. And right now, no one is making that case. Right. So yeah. that kind of speaks for itself. Obviously, he looks like a veteran, feels like a veteran, and steely old sage. And I just, you know, I get more. He, he's somewhat bland and boring in what he says, but he's still so very friendly and folksy and direct and to the point. And it, you always just kind of feel like things are taken care of with him. Like things are all kind of of 
glued together real tightly in a good way. Like this is, you're just not going to see any shit shows. And, um, and I, I think the players take that on. The players seem to respect them a hell of a lot. And they were, they were wanting to win this for them, right? I mean, that's the, that's the sheer sign. Uh, and I think we saw a little bit of it with the Gatorade bath at the end of the, the last game against Delaware. Like he clearly, mm-hmm. this is still clearly his program. And I don't think anybody's going to be wondering for the next, with only two months left before the start of this, the 2021 season, uh, if Stiegelmeyer's going anywhere because we were wondering, well, will he retire if they, uh, will he, will he walk out on top? So I don't think that's a topic that's, uh, you know, that's about that for that's about it for that one. We'll leave this because I know you've had a long day and I really appreciate that. And, and so have I. Um, and next week, we'll probably focus a little bit more on the Sioux Falls Canaries and the big ball of wax of uh, where they are headed. Not just like not their on field performance, but uh, where they're headed in this town uh, with these new owners. And if we're going to if we're going to get baseball to be popular again or at least going out to canaries games popular again i mean frankly that's that's my that's that's a big part of my job here uh and we have new owners i know you talked to the the one that does a lot of the talking uh brian slipka can you just give us a taste of what you sensed from him and uh you know your impressions ever ever since this team that got sold and uh, the the thing that people are talking about the birdcage and a future stadium and all that I just listened back to the interview uh, the other day when I had some time, and he called me Bill in the interview. So there's oh my that. God, I <laughs> trust me, Matt. I told him I, I wrote him several times who he would be talking to, and by the way, I don't think he talked to anybody named Bill. So um, fine, sorry, fine. I'll tell you this: the guy owns 14 businesses. He's a millionaire. He and, and, and this was yeah. Pecans. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Um, uh, no, I you know he it was a somewhat frustrating interview to do because I kind of just opened with a softball question to get it rolling. And then he just talked for 25 minutes and covered all the things that I would have eventually, like, I think he was just so afraid. I wasn't going to ask him about the things he wanted to talk about that. He just was like, I'm just going to talk about these things. If it had been an in-person interview at some point, I would have given him the body language. I've been like, can you shut up so I can ask you another question now? But I just kind of let him keep going. And uh, I was impressed. I mean, leaving aside that, like, this is kind of, I think, what what the Canaries need and what people who care about the Canaries have been waiting for is an owner who gets it. And this guy gets it. And what I mean by that is he understands, not to say that previous owners didn't get it, but previous owners weren't willing to do the things. This guy kind of understands, like, you can't just beg people, like, please come to the games. Uh, we're struggling financially. Our attendance is bad. We don't, you know, well, you can't just say that and expect people to show up. Like, he specifically said at one point, like, you have to give people a reason to want to come to the ballpark. And yeah, sometimes if the team's playing a little better, which they were last year, that helps and you get promotions and some of these other things, but he's like, we just haven't done enough. And he he goes, frankly, what that means is investing in it. We have to spend some money. And he was very adamant about like, I'm going to invest in this and I may lose my ass, but I'm willing to risk it by we're going to spend money because you have to see how many times you hear it growing up. You have to spend money to make money. And this guy gets that. And if you're someone who cares about the Canaries at all, that should be really encouraging to hear because that's something previous owners knew, but they were never going to say it. You were never going to hear them say, well, I can't wait to spend a bunch of money, yeah. buy a new scoreboard, buy the team new uniforms, fix the plumbing and the, you know, all that kind of shit. Like they were just kind of like, yeah, we're, uh, 
hoping that if we have some really cool promotions that 4,000 people will show up and then we can take that money and push, put it back into the ballpark. Well, it, it just almost never works that way, and it's refreshing to get a guy who gets that. Uh, y- you think it's refreshing? Try working in the organization for that. Uh, try being the director of entertainment and having a f- half a million dollar Dactronics video board uh, that I'm staring at right now being out there. And um, and, and that, that's, uh, that's one other place I'll go is – just in your mind, how much of a difference you think that will make? Because some people go, well, so what? You know, it's you know, the team still has to be good, or uh, you know, I still have to have a, I ha- yeah, I have to have a good time people when I come out here. Don't care if the team is any good. I mean, yeah, that is no kidding. I, well, I, 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 I was kind of setting you up there. But I wish it did, but yeah. it, it generally doesn't. Yeah. Um, I think that, I think it, it it does sound corny to think that a scoreboard by itself is going to make such a big deal, but it really is. I mean, that's a nice ballpark. It's not an awesome ballpark, but it's a nice ballpark. It's a great playing surface. If you ask players, coaches around the American Association, they'll tell you that's one of the better playing surfaces in the league. Um, but it's surrounded by a stadium that's just become really outdated. And that freaking light bright video board, whatever you want to call it, that's out there. <laughs> attached, that attached was out this, there. Like, attached to like this knockoff, pretend to be Wrigley Field, Fenway Park type scoreboard. I mean, that, you know... I remember when they first put that up in the 90s going like, that seems pretty outdated for a quote-unquote new scoreboard. Yeah. When I mean, that was my high school field. We played yeah. our home games there when I was in high school. Mm. And we didn't think like, oh, we get to play in this minor league ballpark. We're just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Okay. And uh, I think having a high-def video board where people, you know, you, you hear about it all the time. I'm certainly not comparing the birdcage to the Cowboys stadium, but you always hear people that go to the Cowboys games in the new Jerry world talk about how they can't take their eyes off the video board. You know, they spend more time watching the video board than the actual game on the field. I'm not saying that's going to happen necessarily, but people will be drawn to that. It gives the team so many more options, things to do. People that care about baseball can actually see a freaking replay. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, you, you guys are doing these, you know, different promotions or theme nights or movies, all that kind of stuff. Like, that's going to make a big difference. Yeah. Uh, just last night, Aaron and I got done with work early. We went to the Frisco Rough Riders double-A uh, game. And uh, nice stadium. Uh, not an amazing stadium. I wasn't blown away. But it did have a pretty big scoreboard in left center field. Looked like their video board wasn't working well. They were barely using it. I don't know if it's like an early in the season, working through the glitches kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but it was definitely like the centerpiece of the stadium. You know, you were always looking up at it for updates on the game or, you know, announcements throughout the stadium and i kept i was thinking to myself in the context of this i was like take that take that scoreboard out of this stadium in frisco like that would affect this this would feel more like a high school or college game if it didn't have that there well you've primed us for the week we have nine games in 10 days starting on tuesday and i'll blab i'll uh, blab i'll uh, tell you more about that in a moment when zim's gone but I don't want to make any big promises because you're because thank you you're right that it's going to make a difference to the people's experience and we have a lot of cool plans and I'm basically in charge of those about what's going to go up on that board which is going to have a lot to do with what's going to happen in the stands as well between the innings and uh, you know we're working it out the electronics got here and it just got installed last week and the people who are running it are learning how to run it and um, I, I have no basic predictions for the first couple of games as to how it's going to go, but we might just be keeping it simple and uh, and then adding more things once we know, okay, we got everything down and uh, we know it's going to work. But I'm very excited about it. Are you coming out here this week at some point to come to a game? I don't know yet. It's okay. uh, I kind of wanted to take some vacation after uh, you know football being over with, in which case I probably would. But yeah. 
there's still sports going on, so we'll kind of see how the week plays out. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's, it's very understandable. But I, uh, our job, we think we're going to put some smiles on people's faces, and it's just been like rocket fuel. These new owners, everything you said is right. Spend money to make money. They've invested. Just imagine the morale that goes up for people who have been in this operation for a long time, right. from the ushers right. to the general manager duel who's been here nine years. Um, to, yeah, to, and everything in between. Uh, just everybody's just a little bit more pepped up. And it starts with that board because that's the most physical and, fr- frankly, most expensive kind of thing. It's like half million dollar video or bang, but it, it, it's kind of looking right at you. And it's a clear telltale sign that like things are things are on the uptick here. Things are going to get better. People should come back out and, and it's going to be a scene. We're going to make it the best outdoor bar in town. We're going to make you want to when you come here, we're going to make you want to come back and or you're going to hear it from somebody else like you got to get out to a Canaries game. So uh, we want to we want to uphold that. But uh, I'm very interested once you're out here to, to know what you think. I'm sure you'll write about it. And by the way, when are you going to write about uh, this interview with Brian, the new uh, Brian Slipka, the new co-owner? When's that coming out? Sometime during the homestand. OK, very well. Well, Zim, appreciate your time. Uh, get some sleep or rest, safe travels, whatever. And uh let me know what I got to do to get you out here this week. I'll buy you. I'll buy you a beer. All right. Good. Nice I'm work. Pee my pants if you don't let me go. I good. Okay. Go. Me too. See you later. Happy <laughs> peeing. Okay. He could have peed. Well, I mean, by now, look. This nobody's listening anyway. Podcast for one. That's the name of the podcast. Nobody listening anyway. He might as well have just gone and peed while we were talking. Uh, what, would you have cared? No. I mean, we all know Zim pretty well. Yes. Do you know this podcast well enough to know that? Peeing on the podcast would fit, yes. But that's uh, that was very kind of him, and I can relate. Somehow, amazingly, I did not have to go pee, and I had a big beer uh, before this podcast. So um, thanks to Zim, and uh, we'll dig more into this Canaries thing uh, probably next week or whenever he has come out here and actually experienced the new experience that is the Sioux Falls Canaries. I'm telling you, even if you don't like baseball and don't love going to baseball games, our plan is to still make you love it. How are we going to do it? Well, I'm going to tell you, just show up and find out. Uh, You get in free on Tuesday night. Tuesday night is opening shots night at the Birdcage for the Sioux Falls Canaries 2021 season. If you have had your COVID-19 vaccination, even if you only had one shot and you're going with the two shotters, But certainly, if you've had the one and done, or like I did, you got over with Johnson and Johnson. It's there. You're vaxxed. You're good. You're cool. Good, because you present that valid COVID-19 vaccination card, obviously with your ID, uh, to make sure it's you. Uh, We will get you in free, a free ticket. And if you've been planning on getting your COVID-19 vaccination shot, we will have Lewis Drug administering that here for the people, because you know um, by now, if you believe in it. You've probably gotten it, but, you know, some of you are really busy, like me and Zim, and, you know, when am I going to go to a store to get the shot and wait and whatever? Just come to a baseball game. Come check out the Sioux Falls Canaries experience on Tuesday night, and uh, it's right there for you, and you don't have to make another stop in your busy life. Uh, That just gets the ball rolling. You'll also have a chance to make a basketball shot for a free pizza. But then, uh, Wednesday night, Spaceballs night. Too expensive. George Lucas Entertainment kid—it's charged too much for you to do a Star Wars night with their copyright. So we're gonna do it. Uh, we're gonna go better, and we're gonna go more fun. We're gonna go with a better fit for the Canaries in minor league baseball and do Spaceballs night. Seinfeld night happens Thursday. If you were a big Seinfeld fan, and who the hell wasn't? My goodness. First of all, we're gonna give you pretzels to the first. If you're one of the first 500 fans, pretzels that will make you thirsty. Don't recognize that line from Seinfeld. 
You're probably not as big of a Seinfeld fan as you think, but Google it. You'll laugh. And um, they will make you thirsty for Thirsty Thursdays. Two domestic cans, 16 ounces, 10 bucks. Two Crafter Import cans for 12 bucks on Thirsty Thursdays. Uh, we'll have more Seinfeld-related fun, including the black and white cookie. Look to the cookie, Elaine! Look to the cookie! By the way, Jerry Seinfeld might be the host of that night, if you're lucky. Friday, first responder night. Free admission to any police or fire department employee or emergency medical technician. Yes, our heroes of our community and our hometown. We'll, have a, we'll honor a couple of them. The mayor, Paul Tenhaken, will throw out the first pitch on Friday. And again, free admission to all first responders. And then on Saturday, the big one of the week, Ferris Bueller's Day Off Night. My goodness. Actually, we're calling it Ferris Bueller's Night Off. Get it? I'm amazed. And I'm not amazed because it's my favorite movie of all time. I, there's no movie that gives me more pleasure and joy where I love quoting the one-liners. I've seen top 10 lists of movies with best, the, the most best one-liners. It's right up there. It spans generations. I have a 14-year-old who was born... Oh, about 20 years after it came out, and she loves the movie. So we're going to have a lot of Ferris Bueller's Day Off fun on Ferris Bueller's Night Off. Free save Ferris koozies to the first 500 fans on Saturday night. And uh, that just gets it started. And by the way, Twist and Shout, you want to stick around for what we're going to do with Twist and Shout. All right? Uh, That's just the first uh, five games of this homestand. And uh, you can read more about it at sfcanaries.com. Our big promo schedule article is right there on the front page. Tuesday's Disco Preservation Night, the answer to Disco Demolition Night. Uh, We're not going to burn records. We're going to let you bring them in. We'll keep them for you. And we're going to celebrate a genre of music you think you hate because of the word disco, but you actually love. And you'll love it that night. We're going to celebrate the movie Major League on Wednesday, May 26th. And then on Thursday, another Thirsty Thursday on May 27th, we are going to celebrate dazed and confused 80s 90s cult comedy uh, classics that's that's uh, that's how we're gonna blast out of the gates in the new era the slipka era the true north sports era of sioux falls canaries baseball where it's a whole new ball game and uh, it's not about it, it is about baseball if you love baseball but if it's not about baseball for you it's the canaries experience it's the best outdoor bar in town and uh like brian said with matt and on the Inside the Birdcage podcast, we have to gain your trust. We do. We have to, we have to do it right. We have to entertain you. We have to make you feel welcome. We have, to, we, do, we, we have to live up to everything we've been billing and give that brand new Dactronics video board its due. But uh, we've been working very hard to do it, and we hope you come out to see it and enjoy it. Follow the Canaries on social media at SF Canaries. I'm just talking too fast. I'm so excited about the season opener. At Canaries on Twitter. Sioux Falls Canaries on Facebook. uh, Canaries Baseball on Instagram. And sfcanaries.com. Hey, if you've made it through my plug for my employers, a product I truly believe in, thank you. Thank you for sticking around. Seriously, I I hope I sold it well enough because you should come out here and enjoy it. And, uh, And we'll talk about it again soon on the next version of nobody's listening anyway jacks fans thank you we got two months and we're going to start talking jacks again and there's probably going to be some sdsu to talk in between so keep rolling with us we appreciate everybody who has supported this podcast through the weeks and uh, we'll be back at the gateway lounge together soon to to do it where it should be the gateway lounge north uh, west 41st street in sioux falls just off the i-29 exit an institution, a family-owned, uh, family-friendly bar. It's a great place to take your kids 
and enjoy a night out. Kind of like Canaries Baseball. You know, some bars, some restaurants, you just, they're not great to, to take your kids to. There's not really anything for them to do. But uh, at Gateway, there is. They'll like it. They like kids there. Uh, you know, Jackson, the manager, has a couple. He knows. He can relate. And uh, such friendly service, such awesome food. Uh, the, the pizzas, the wings with plenty of meat on them, the beef chislick, the taco salads, the specials that they have for lunch every day for $7. Follow the Gateway Lounge on social media. I'm sure the place was rocking today until the hearts were ripped out of the chests of the Jackrabbit uh, fans. And uh, don't worry, it's great to have a powerful football team that made it that far. There's going to be a lot more to talk about in the coming weeks and months here on Nobody's Listening Anyway. For Matt Zimmer, I'm John Gaskins. Just when you thought I would never find the exit ramp, well, looky, there it is. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck you. Casino <laughs> <laughs> round drinks? Yes. Yeah.